uh, the Old Testament book of Numbers. That text is uh, printed uh, in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Uh, I'm going to recap uh, in a few minutes a little bit more about what's going on here, but uh, we're going to pick up in this narrative with uh, uh, Balaam is on his way uh, to um, pick up some money and uh, curse the people of God, and uh, that's where we're going to pick up the, uh, uh, the, the, the story uh, now. So, uh, so when, you read, when we read in the first verse that God's anger was kindled because he went, that is... Uh, uh, the he that we're talking about there is uh, Balaam, the uh, kind of religious hired gun who uh, has been hired to curse God's people. So um, Numbers 22, verses 22 through 40, the text uh, is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. And then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only the word I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. And when Balak heard that Balaam had come, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab on the border formed by the Arnon at the extremity of the border. And Balak said to Balaam, did I not send you to call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, behold, I have come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that must I speak. Then Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiriath-Huzoth, and Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep and sent for Balaam and for the princes who were with him. So let's go ahead and put, put my notes up there. So a quick recap about what's going on here. The, uh, the people of God are there on the plains of Moab. They're right up against the, uh, the promised land. In fact, they, from where they're camping, they can probably see the Jordan River and the valley there, and on the other side of that is the promised land. Uh, They're right up against uh, the country of of Moab, and there we have this king, Balak, who sees them, who's heard about 
uh, their military prowess. He sees about how many of those people there are, and so he needs an edge. He needs to get some sort of weapon of of mass destruction. And so there's this man, Balaam, and who we mentioned last week. He is he's in the archaeological record. He was a well known. Uh, uh, political and religious figure, and Balak thinks if he can pay him off to get him to curse the people, then that will give him a weapon against them uh, that would that would be effective. So he sends a delegation to him, and the, the and Balak uh, Balaam says, "All right, well, I'm going to uh, sleep on this." And while he's asleep, God comes to him and says, "You know, don't do this." So he gets up the next morning and he says, "I can't do it. I can't curse God's people." So they go back to their king. The king's like, well, I'll up the ante. He sends more impressive people and he sends more money. They go. Balaam says, well, let me sleep on it. And God says to him, okay, you can go, but you can only say what I say. And so Balaam is caught up in this and he decides that he's going to go. And we see God uh, stopping him and speaking to him here because God sees in his heart. And what God sees in his heart is he is going not to do what God wants him to do. He's going to make some money. <laughs> okay. He, he, you know, uh, the prophet motive was just as alive and well in, 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 in the Bible as, as it is uh, for us uh, today. So God limits what Balaam can do. He says, you know what, you can go with them, but you can only say what I tell you to say. And, and probably the thing that might be most important about this text is that all of this is happening outside of the view and the hearing of the people of God. They are completely unaware that this story is even happening, that this battle for blessing and for cursing, this, this thing that is going to determine in many ways their future is happening and they don't even know about it. They are completely unaware of it. And so so we come now to this story with the part of the story that all of us uh, who've been around the church or read these things it, it, at all, the tonky, talking donkey, right? And there's all the jokes, you know, if God can speak through a donkey, blah, 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 you know, all of those kinds of things. Even John Calvin, who did not have much of a sense of humor, even says uh, that uh, Balaam had to go to the school of the donkey to to learn what it was, although he didn't use the word donkey, to, uh, to learn how to, uh, to, uh, to do this, right? So have at it. You know, let's, let's, let's have a lot of jokes about if God can speak through a donkey. Um, uh, but the fact is, what is profound about this is not so much that the donkey speaks, but the patience of God. That's the real miracle. Uh, that we see going on uh, in this story, uh, this story today. So I want to pick out four things out of this uh, text that uh, that kind of apply uh, very, uh, very directly to us. Uh, and the first one is the one that is uh, probably most profound. And I've ex- I've got a quote here. Bear with me as uh, we uh, as we read this. Apart from a work of grace in our hearts by God, dumb animals are more sensitive to the presence and will of God than we are. Isn't that something? I, th- I think more highly of myself than that. <laughs> Isn't it fascinating that in this passage, the donkey sees and perceives and responds appropriately to the presence of the sword-willing angel of the Lord 
before the seer, and that's the, actually the Hebrew word for what Balaam is, is, is uh, in here, before the seer does. He's a prophet. He can see the future, but he can't see the angel of the Lord with a sword right in front of him. But the donkey can. And she does exactly what an intelligent being would do. The first time she heads into the field, and the next time she scrunches up against the wall, and then when there's no place to go, uh, she's on the ground. But it's only subsequently that the seer's eyes are opened to the presence of the Lord. So the, so the thing that we have to see about this is, is, this is, it, this is so hard for us to believe, right? Because we see things, we experience things in a certain way, and that's the only way that it can be, right? And so, so it never occurs to us that we might be spiritually blind. It never occurs to us that we might miss the work of God. It never occurs to us that God might be doing something or that he might have done something, uh, and it's happening right in front of us, but we can't see it. And so that's one of the things that is so encouraging about this text. Don't be discouraged that, uh, that, that, that you might miss it. Be encouraged that God in his patience opens the eyes of the blind. The great story to be told, and this is, is that Balaam finally sees that God doesn't just do away with him in his, right there on, on the road. Now, this is something that is so hard for us to, to grapple with because we are, we, the results, the work of God is only clear to us if we can see it, understand it, and quantify it, right? And yet, what we see in this text is the smartest guy, the most powerful guy uh, in, the, in, the, in the whole story uh, can't even see that there's an angel standing in the road with a sword, even though the donkey is clearly able to see it. So what, what, is, what is profound about this to me is, is that we, we spend an awful lot of our time and energy thinking that the work of God to open the eyes of the spiritually blind, of, of the spiritually blind depends totally on me. A lot of you lose a lot of sleep over your friends, your family, your children who are not believing and you are scratching around feeling guilty because you haven't done something or you did do something that you shouldn't have done or that you are thinking if you could just come up with an airtight argument that would win the day, then everything would be fine. I was uh, Recently, I was with a, a man who's a leader in another church, and he was talking to me about one of his older children who's rejected the faith. And the reasons why he's rejected the faith is the schooling, uh, friends, uh, and mistakes that they made. And so he was telling me this, and I said, well, you know what? You're right. It's hopeless. It's hopeless, man. If that's it, if that's it, it's hopeless because there ain't a, a ding-blasted thing you can do about any of that. So, wow, let's get on about our business because that's a hopeless thing. But if there's a God who can open the eyes of the blind, who can overcome all of these things, then we have every reason to be hopeful. We have every reason to look for that. We have every reason to cry out to him. We, there is something we can do. We can, we can stop what we're doing right now, and we can pray that God will open the eyes of the blind. But if it's all based on what we've done, and it's all based on, on our abilities, then you know what? It's hopeless. We're in trouble 
Because not only is it a bad situation, not only is it tough that, that this son of yours has not, uh, his eyes are closed. The fact of the matter is you and I are in trouble because if it depends on us to see it, we might miss it too. Right? So, so the fact is, the, the great news in this text uh, is not that God speaks through donkeys. He certainly can. But what God does is he takes the prideful. He takes people like us who are competent and together and smart and studied. And what does he do? He doesn't let that stand in the way of his work, right? Isn't it funny how our, our actual gifts and our abilities and the things that we think are most impressive actually might be a hindrance to the work of God because those things seem to be the thing that matters the most rather than the fact that our God raises the dead and opens the eyes of the blind, right? So as we, as we think about this today, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, the, that's kind of the, 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 the message that I want you to see here, right? Because God is so good. You see, one of the things that, it, and you're gonna, you read that up there, the goodness of God in the gospel, and you think, of course God is good. I mean, how, how can it be, how can it be any better than that God sees his rebellious and dying creation, and he comes in the flesh, and lives the life that we could never live, and dies the death we deserve, and rises again from the dead? How can it get any better than that? I'll tell you how it gets better. God just didn't do that. He did that. But not only did he do that, but he opens our eyes and our hearts and our minds to see it and believe it. It's not just enough that God has acted in Jesus Christ, but he has acted in Jesus Christ. And, and not only that, he's enabled us to see that. The people who loved Jesus the most... The people who thought he was the greatest, the people who were most faithful to him to the end of his life, the women. On Easter Sunday, what are they doing? They're going to look for a dead Jesus. They even didn't believe. They didn't even see. He had to open their eyes. Gardner, where have you taken him? Mary. Right? So, so as we think about this today, that's, that's the greatness and the goodness of God. Not only does he act in Jesus Christ to do this thing outside of us, he even opens us up so that we can see it, hear it, and believe it. And unless he does that, we never will. But praise God, he does. Right? Jesus is talking to his disciples one day, and he says to them, Who do the people say that I am? Um. And that says a lot about Jesus' self-image, right? When was the last time you said to somebody, what do, who do people say that I am? Don't answer that question, right? <laughs> you know, do you want to hear that, right? And they say all these uh, different characters. And then Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. And one of the things that you should see about this is we... It's just one exclamation point there. There should be five or six. Jesus is like, yes! Yes! <laughs> Not just because Peter got it. Peter, you are so smart. Don't let anybody tell you that fishermen are dumb. You're really bright. No. What does he say? Yes! 
For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. For I, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's not because Peter's smart. It's not because he's good. It's not because he's faithful. It's because God has revealed this to him. And it's not just that God has revealed this to him and that Jesus is pumped about that. But God has revealed this to him and Jesus sees that God is going to keep on revealing that to Peter and to others. And that message and that truth that that, that he empowers and opens the eyes of the blind and raises the dead will change the world and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's not just that God has acted in Jesus. He has. But he's acted in us so that we can see it, hear it, and believe it. So the gospel's not just good news. It's great news. Because not only does God do this, but he enables us to see it, hear it, and believe it. Next slide. So what's Balaam's real problem? Well, I think part of the problem with Balaam is, is, is our problem. And, and if you, if you want to see what his, his problem is, it's not because his donkey is stubborn and it's not because he's greedy so much. All those things certainly are problems. But we get a clue about who Balaam is uh, when Balaam says to the donkey, um, well, the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you've struck me these three times? Come on. What have I done to you that you hit me three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And I can't believe why the donkey's not saying, you want to talk about swords? <laughs> Look at that sword right there, right? right? That's what I would have said. But, um, but Balaam, when, when, when the donkey says, why are you hitting me? Balaam doesn't say, because you're stubborn, because you're difficult. What's it about? Oh, I look like a fool. That's my problem. You're making me look like a fool. I'll put up with a lot. But don't mock me. Don't make me look impotent. Don't make me look silly. Don't make me look like that. Because I'm powerful. And I'm smart. And I'm gifted. And anything that makes me not look that way, I can't have it. I'll kill it. Right? So we get a window into, into Balaam. And, and, and the thing that is so profound about that is that's always a window into us if we think our power and our worth and our value and our significance and the thing that we press the shame out of ourselves with is, is thrown back upon ourselves so that we're the ones, right, who... Who, who are managing this. We're the ones. We're, we're, we're the center of this, right? Don't make a fool out of me. And why would that make him so angry? Why would that, why would that undo him so much? Because down deep in his heart of hearts, what does he know about himself? You know, I am weak and I am blind and as powerful and as profound as people think I am, you know what? I'm, I'm limited. I'm finite, right? So, so the, so the, so the fact is what we, what we see here is the, this thing, this issue that, 
that Balaam has been made a fool out of himself, is is that pride is probably actually the thing that is blinding him to the work of God, is the the thing that's blinding him to the fact that God is striving with him and, and trying to deal with him to get him to open his eyes to see what he's doing in his mercy and in his grace. And, and the fact that God sends that angel there three times, three times to stop him, to get his attention, to communicate with him, right? Thirdly, uh, the donkey uh, suffers for the sins and blindness and pride of Balaam. And I think that's, I think that's a, uh, a, a pretty profound thing for us uh, to think about, right? And, and that is... Uh, that in the work that we have, sometimes because we can see, sometimes because we are aware of the work of God, that doesn't make us stronger in the sense that doesn't doesn't give us a, a leg up on somebody else or or put us ahead of someone else. It, it might actually put us in the place of suffering. It might actually put us in the place of having to to bear the brunt and bear the the difficulty of someone else's blindness against us. And so the poor donkey uh, uh, is, is getting beaten uh, while she is being uh, the one who is caring for her master. You know, it is, it's, it's, it's not unusual to read some of the older writers about this text that see this donkey as pointing to us to, uh, to the work of Christ. That Christ in his humility uh, is, is beaten. That Christ in his humility bears with us. And, 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 and it, the very fact that he is interposes and, and tries to protect us and care for us ends up causing him suffering. The, the big difference, I, I would say, here in this is the donkey speaks. The donkey finally says, that's enough. Stop hitting me, right? Why are you hitting me? I don't, I'm, I've been faithful to you. I've been good to you all these years. Stop it. Jesus simply prayed. Uh, he did not argue or point out uh, what was happening. He simply said for his father to forgive those who were beating him and undoing him. And then fourthly, the wisdom of men versus the wisdom of God. Uh, and this is the thing that's so hardest for us, right? Because uh, we, um, we, we think, uh, we're smart and we're powerful and that we, um, uh, that our ability to win arguments and our ability to be impressive is unassailable. But the thing that, the thing that is so hard for us to see is that what the scriptures say to us over and over and over again is that thing which is small and insignificant that thing which we might not even see is where the work of God, the most powerful work of God, typically is happening. Now remember, all of this is happening while the people of God are camping. Okay? They're not doing anything. God is doing it all while they're camping, right? So that's one thing to keep in mind. But there's, there's some other things to keep in mind here as well. And that is that the way we tend to think about the way the, the, the world works is if I can just get power, if I can just uh, become more and more impressive, uh, 
then, then the work of the gospel is going to spread far and wide, right? Kevin mentioned uh, the second graders. And, and one of the things that, you know, we think about that and one of the burdens that we have about uh, our children not only is that we desire their salvation, but, but frankly, you know, the, 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 the kids are, uh, well, the, for many of us, the best thing we can say about them is, is that they're the church of the future. And that's a lie. They're the church. Present tense. Just as much as I am. Just as much as I am, right? No, you, you got to say that because you're a religious professional. You, you know that's, and you got to say that to you know get people to volunteer to take care of them. You know because, <laughs> you know, because we know that the ch- the children, the weak, the sick, the dying the old, the disabled, they can have no ministry. What gets Jesus' attention? What impresses him? Let the little children come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. One day Jesus is in the temple and he's looking at all the impressive people. As they come in, impressing one another. Look at what I've brought today. Look at what I'm doing. Look at the stand that I've taken. Look at Look at my relationships. Look at my family. Look at my gifts. Impressive. And Jesus is watching the procession. And when no one's looking, he sees a widow come in with the tiniest, insignificant offering. And he says, wow, just wow. Look at that. And we don't even know her name. Right? This is a hard message for us because we believe in what we can see and measure and kind of get our hands around. And what we are dealing with is a God who in his love and grace and patience and mercy is at work in those things that we don't even see, that we don't even acknowledge. That, in fact, when we do see them and we do acknowledge them, we dismiss them. And unless God will open our eyes to that, we will miss his work. We'll miss it. We won't see it. We'll miss it. We won't see it. We'll miss it. And even those of us who have had our eyes and our ears and our hearts opened, we can still miss it. I've used this illustration before, um, but uh, bear with me. 
those of you who have been around 25 years. Um, one day I was eating a bagel and drinking coffee with uh, a young man who worshipped here, and uh, he was telling me, he was upset, and uh, he was telling me uh, how lame the church was, how lame I was, that I was the captain of the Titanic, I just didn't know it. <laughs> now, that'll get your eyes open. And that, um, that we were only a Sunday morning church. Now, uh, within our eyesight were three guys sitting at a table who worship here who were having a Bible study while we were there. Now, the problem in this conversation was not him. The problem in the conversation was me because I was so discouraged. I believed it. Even though I could see those three guys sitting there, I believed him. What he said to me, for whatever reason, appealing to my pride or whatever, got over me, and I could not see the glory of God shining in Einstein's on a Wednesday morning because I believed him. And I'm, it's my job to see the glory of God. It's my, God. it's my job to say, look, look, do you see what he's doing? Do you see his work? Do you see what's happening? And I missed it because I was so discouraged and taken by what he said to me. If all we've got is all we've got, we are in trouble. But praise God, the God that we, that we are here <laughs> worshiping today opens the eyes of the blind, raises the dead, and he does it in a way that's patient. That's patient. Three times. Three times before he opens the eyes of the blind. Hear these words.